Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. Other sites have gone back to the same old tactic of showing you a lower price and then charging you huge fees at checkout. But at SeatGeek, the price you see is always the price you pay. With SeatGeek, there is no guesswork. You'll know exactly how much you're paying, where you're sitting, and whether or not you're getting a good deal, all right from your phone. So drop your old site and experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be. To start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Just want to encourage you to make sure you subscribe to our new, newest podcasts. It's Keeping It 1600, The Ringer NFL Show, and The Ringer NBA Show. Keeping 1600 is our political podcast with our buddies John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer. Last week, they had a great interview with MSNBC's Chuck Todd. Uh, the Ringer NFL show featured Colts quarterback Andrew Luck talking about Game of Thrones with Kevin Clark. That was awesome. And last week, Bill Simmons guest hosted an episode of the NBA show with Kevin Clark talking about the magic. And I'm sure we're going to have lots of stuff this week about the lottery and everything else. You can subscribe to Keeping It 1600, The Ringer NFL show, The Ringer NBA show, and of course, The Watch, all on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Roan Apparel. Roan makes stylish activewear from innovative and custom fabrics built specifically for men. They use innovative fabrics such as silver tech, which involves melting down pure silver and weaving it into yarn that definitely sounds like something Jon Snow would wear. Silver is both antimicrobial and anti-stink, so your gym clothes will no longer smell. GQ Magazine and their article, The Truth About Anti-Stink Gym Gear, ranked Rones of Products number one, beating out premium competitors such as Lululemon, and the New York Post it dubbed it Actiwear Fit for Superman. Personally, I have the Tau zip-up hoodie, that three-quarter joint, I don't really work out that much, but it's very stylish, so I don't really have to worry about anything. To check out brand new collections, visit roan.com slash bspn. That's R-H-O-N-E dot com and slash bspn. And right now they're offering the watch listeners an inside deal for 15% off your first order with the code bspn on roan.com slash bspn. Again, that is roan.com. The code is bspn. Made for men. Fit for kings. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor for TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, come and see, it's Andy Greenwald! Hey! Hey! Look at us. I'm all all on fire and I don't have any clothes on. You know, <laughs> it, it makes a difference. Do you, you know, there are there are singers who who strip themselves bare in the vocal booth to get like a very intimate performance. And I've always assumed that when we're not in on the same coast, that's what you do. Like who does that? Like Dave Hollister? Uh, yeah, no, uh, Buster Poindexter. Um, <laughs> that's how he recorded the very Game of Thrones appropriate hot, hot, hot. No, uh, our uh, old pal Jenny Lewis told me that she recorded the Rilo Kiley song. I never in the in the buff. That's part of the Andy Greenwald podcast universe. That's that's a deep ref. <laughs> Don't you think there's some overlap in our podcast multiverse or no? We'll see. <laughs> look, I, I feel like that's a very good time to mention that there is now because the Andy Greenwald podcast has crashed onto the watch podcast feed. Yeah. We, so we, it's just living uncomfortably under your arm. We've taken you on. <laughs> thanks, thanks, <laughs> boss. Uh, Andy, this is The Watch. Uh, my name is Chris Ryan. You are Andy Greenwald. We're here to talk about Game of Thrones, talk a little bit about Chance the Rapper's new tape, uh, yes. and maybe a little bit of Night Manager, a little bit of Lobster, a little bit of Steve Jobs. Andy, airplane movies are in effect. It's a thing. I love Chris it. It's my board. favorite this... segment ever. <laughs> should we? Should I tell the listeners how you were like, when we were on set for After the Thrones last week, you were just low-key pitching your own 
kind of segments you could do like what on the show just to get a little burn <laughs> like what were my segments wasn't there one where you were just like what if i just told people about my emotional state like my moods or something <laughs> wasn't that something you were saying chris's moods <laughs> chris's mood board by the way here's why airplane movies is definitely a thing because our boss at the ringer Andy, just because someone else a- watches a movie on an airplane doesn't mean they're participating in your activity Chris, he tweeted it. <laughs> no, he... Lots of people watch movies on airplanes, but he tweeted it. He knows. He feels the movement. Look, I'm just saying he knows a good thing when he sees one. Uh, he's, a, he's a wise wise and sagacious businessman. <laughs> he is. Um, shout out to Bill Simmons, who was great on, on The Watch last week. If you missed last week's episode, a lot of uh, prospective new co-hosts joined me. <laughs> None of whom have ever watched or commented on a movie while flying in the air. Um, buddy, it's good to have you back. It's it's a shame we're not going to see each other this week, uh, but we will be adding a lot of podcasts to the feed this week. I think you've got one coming this week, an Andy Greenwald show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and last week I spoke to our, our mutual idol, Colin Farrell. Yeah, a very good conversation very available that was an on the watch interview. feed. Nice job with that. Thanks, buddy. Um, let's talk a little bit about Game of Thrones. As you guys may know... Yeah, should we say that... That uh, our show is is out there yeah. again this week. Yeah, yeah. Before uh, a very a timely release tonight, last night at midnight Pacific time, you can catch After the Thrones on HBO Go now on demand, and then tonight, I think we might be on a little earlier tonight, aren't we? I I don't, I don't know. I haven't checked my DVR, but we're on we're on the TV. Check tonight. local listings for and After the Thrones know. this evening. Um, and <clears> Andy, there, can, should we say that Chris that there was like. The difference this week that I think that really, really helped was the addition of three key elements. We had Mallory Rubin join us, of course, but we also had our maester, Jason Concepcion, in the house. Mm-hmm. And we availed ourselves of some, of some props. Yeah, some swordplay. There was some swordplay. Uh, Andy, any any lingering thoughts you wanted to share with the listeners about Game of Thrones? I mean, we, we've certainly chatted it up a lot, but... The TV show Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I thought, you know, we talked about it a lot on our show, but I was pretty interested in, as many people were, in that the final the final sequence, right? When Daenerys, um, you know, uh, basically begins humming the disclosure hit from two years ago and the fire starts to burn and, and, and all that happens and everyone bows to her once again and she has another God moment. And it was kind of, it's kind of interesting because the way I've been watching this season has really been an attempt to appreciate the scale of it because so many things you know we talked about this week as well on the show the reunion of Sansa and John in the beginning and just how totally crazy that was because these are characters who whose relationship we know and we understand and we've rooted for but they have not shared the screen since did we decide did we figure out was it since the very first episode yeah, I think or so. at least the first certainly the first few I think it's the first episode and and so a, actually a five-year gap between them ever even sharing the screen i mean that's crazy no show has ever done that so i'm i'm trying to basically change the way i watch things my expectations for them because i feel like the show has been testing it constantly this year and you know you see daenerys have this incredible moment where she basically she literally sets fire to the patriarchy right um this is a character who has had a very very bumpy and rocky journey and she was you know, she's like many of the characters on the show has been physically brutalized and 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 brought very low, and then suddenly is back on top again in this very dramatic way. And I wonder about our ability as viewers. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take my answer off here. I want to hear what you have to say about this. But our ability as viewers to to differentiate things that um, 
need to happen for the story or things that we're tired of seeing happening or things that we want to happen, right? Because there was a lot of outcry. There has been a lot of outcry, some earned, maybe some not earned, about the treatment of female characters on the show. And I wonder if it's all been the slow arc towards what the female characters are doing on the show now. And if our ability to appreciate that was mitigated by how long it's taken to get there. You know what I mean? Our impatience to see something just happen. I'm and I feel not like going to get that, my hopes that's up going that, that that's what this is. Not that I think that the creators of the show are in any way trying to denigrate women, but just that I don't, I'm not, I'm not counting all my, uh, everybody is in a good place eggs yet. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably fair. You have been watching the show. So you, you know that, but do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's another thing that I was noticing where like, this, the, the other really interesting scene to me from this episode, from Book of the Stranger, was the um, basically Tyrion's um, plea for, for pragmatism in a very, very, um, I, I was about to say fiery place in Marine, but I guess fiery, fiery was more based on Thrak. But basically that, like, yeah, he did just tell two former slaves to, like, be patient. And he's, like, this very, very privileged non-person who is not of color telling them that. Is that like is that sort of thing problematic as a viewer, or is that like the show knows that he's that he's very, very, very much a privileged character saying these things, and it, and it's kind of okay to live in that. Um, I think it's like I think that right? you're supposed to think that. What I don't, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to think, but I I took from that scene that Tyrion's privilege in that situation allows him the perspective to make the kind of seven year deal that he makes <clears throat> with the guys from Cypher's right. Bay, which is the kind of deal others wouldn't make because they would be blinded by a very just sense of vengeance, right? Right, and it doesn't delegitimize... I mean, we're talking about fictional characters here, but it, it doesn't delegitimize that that fury, that wound, that desire to, to right or wrong. No. Um, that he made that that he made that, that deal. It, but in fact, I think it's sort of fascinating that, that the show is pushing us into this place of uncomfortable compromise, right? Like that, Like that is sort of... This sounds ridiculous because I was actually going to invoke the wire, and I I do not think these shows are that similar. Although sometimes they maybe, maybe maybe play with the same play on the same field a little bit. But like, there's there's no like what is the good answer in Marine, right? Like what's the what's the best possible scenario here? Yeah, and I think also I, sort of, I like the fact that it's oh, go ahead. no. You're alluding to the idea of John and Sansa getting back to like reuniting and this emotional moment, and probably. And I know you talked about this on the show. It was just like the idea that the, that Game of Thrones does something that very few shows have ever done, which is actually give you. It actually is time lapse. I mean, you've been watching this, these people grow up. You've been watching them go on these divergent paths, and now they've crisscrossed again. And because you were so aware of where these people are geographically and emotionally, and in their in their heroes' journeys, like to see them cross back over again is so meaningful. And I also thought about all the how unique the show is in terms of its prehistory. So mm-hmm. the idea that even if we've only ever seen Sansa and John together like once before this, there's like an entire, there are reams of Sansa and John interactions, I'm sure, in the books that we don't know, like, you know what I mean, that that lead up to that. And so how meaningful it is for people to see that if they've been book readers too. That That's particularly, right. that's really interesting. And just every... Everything that happens on this show with the alliances and the the betrayals having this sort of historical precedent in the books is, is kind of fascinating to watch it play out, even if you're not a book reader. Yeah, there's – yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> we don't even need to say anymore that we're not book readers, right? There's I, – I just think that the, the, 
that, I mean, what you're saying gets back to what to what I my original point before I got sidetracked in marine, like many many empires have tended to do, I guess, which is just like. I don't think I still I know I said this a few weeks ago, but I feel like we are not adjusted in terms of how we accept and enjoy story. We're not adjusted to this, this just the sheer magnitude of it. You know, I, I think that if, if we're watching it with eyes that are used to binge watching a show or a limited series or a show that, you know, has like Empire, which has basically done the same amount of plot of all of the Game of Thrones novels in two seasons. Um that you know there's there's so much still to work out and yeah you know and and i think what maybe what you're hinting at has gotten us this far you're hinting at something too that's that i've been thinking about which is that game of thrones has kind of turned into a a a chamber piece like it's it's basic it's it's very it's a very interior two-hander conversations show right now and you think about anything from i don't know i mean you even think about something like fargo that has so much and then this happens, and then this happens, and people are moving mm-hmm. from location to location. I mean, think about how many... It's a very philosophical show right now. A lot of these conversations are about worldview and mm-hmm. uh, the nature of pretty big questions like justice or how to live a, a just or right life. You know, you think about all the Sparrow scenes, you think about all these scenes that Tyrion's mm-hmm. been having in these different different rooms. Um, even think about like what Daenerys was talking about with the cows before she let, let them all on fire. These are pretty like significant questions. So it's not surprising to me that you, it's not surprising to me that even though it's about quote unquote tits and dragons, according to Ian McShane, it winds up <laughs> causing this kind of debate because a lot of what like 75% of the show is conversations about these topics. Yeah, and you know what? I'm also realizing that what we're doing is we're we're kind of circling back to the, the the conversation we had about TV two weeks ago, just in terms of how we're still sorting out how to how to process it. Because as much as I'm trying to investigate or even artic- articulate this argument that the expanse of the show is challenging the ways that I that I that I process it, because I I'm trying to be patient in a way I'm not usually patient. I am also a great defender in the the episode as a standalone art form. And so what's interesting to me about the show is that it's proving that events that that happened in season one, season two, season four, that, you know, maybe in my recaps I took issue with, we're not we're not institutionally forgotten, you know, and we'll have some significance um, later down the line. Like the issue I, I will I will begin to have much more serious issues, quote unquote, with with Ramsey's behavior. <laughs> If they just continue to pile up unanswered for, well, he, well, he, well, you know, he sits in Winterfell. Like there needs to be some engagement, but the thing is, the show has taught us that there will be engagement and reckoning and whatever that means. Can I ask you a quick um, question? But, but, but no, but just, but just to say, like, as someone who believes in the episode as a standalone thing, I, I, I should be, I'm realizing I should be more um, in tune with the idea that if something happened in episode season four, episode three, then that happened in episode four, season three, and there's a worthwhile discussion around that episode that is doesn't need to take into effect into consideration season seven, you know, however many years in the future. Oh, yeah. I have a Ramsey question, but, you know. But yeah, bring it, bring it. bring. I, I love talking about Ramsey. That was the same, Great character. he stabbed Osho with the same knife he kept peeling fruit with, right? Do you feel like that was cross, cross-contamination? cross <laughs> I just like, that's not the grossest are, thing. Are you asking if that's kosher? <laughs> Ask Is a Jewish that, person. Do you, you want me to, to weigh it? Do you want me to get a rabbinical study to weigh in on that? Yeah, can, can you go bless Ramsey's paring knife? I mean, I please no. Tell me where you were going with this question. I have no idea. I have no idea. I just thought it was <laughs> just, really interesting. You, 
do you feel like he should have had a secondary neck stabbing knife? Well, just that, like I thought that he pulled. He I thought she went for the paring knife, and he had a secret knife. And then I was like, but did he go back to the paring knife, or did he use the neck knife to go to go to the pair? It was just like a real sleight of hand. And if so, oh, like was he? I I don't know. It just says a lot about him. It says a lot about him. <laughs> well, he has two. There's a, well, okay. To be clear. There are two knives in the scene. <laughs> one for meat and one for dairy. Okay? That's how that's how kosher law is basically followed. So your question, the thing that is troubling you most this at this point in season six, and I just want to be clear, you can tell me if I'm misreading you here, <laughs> is that after Osha reaches for the, the fruit knife yeah. <laughs> and Ramsey kills her with the killing knife, yeah. He resumes the fruit eating with the killing knife. Yeah, that seemed weird. So what he you're had already started the job continuity? with a different knife. Are you Emily Post? Are you worried about where the soup spoon is next to the corpse? That seemed like a lovely small plate setup he had out there. Like somebody came out with some love, like an olives and a charcuterie. The charcuterie was probably oh, made of other tapenade. people. And then mm-hmm. he was like messing up the knives. And I hate that. You've seen me. We've been at gatherings in which cheese is shared. And I, I do think yeah. that you should. Some people don't like goat cheese. You know what I mean? Some people only like sharp cheddars. Some people love a brie, but you got to keep the knives separate. I feel like cheese, ch- cheeses should be separate. Do you know what like a real legit pet peeve of mine is? Yeah. If we're really talking about this, is like you lay out a nice like a harder cheese. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, maybe, yeah, like it's like a cheddar or like a gouda or something. Uh, like a, gouda with like some a, caramelized a, a crystals in it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You get that little crunchy bread. So, and you put out with it intentionally. One of them, one of them cheese scrapers to like run along the top. Yeah, so, so you like, like you get the nice, nice thin, of, and you can lay that on a salami, or the flat surface, you know, that maximizes the sort of crunchy crystal feeling, you know. And then some, Wait, some let's just call them what they're like some some wildling, some animal, <laughs> some brute comes to your party, takes the cheese scraper, and just starts hacking at the cheese as if that was just some sort of common OSHA stabbing knife. You know what I mean? And taking chunks of the cheese you were recommending to scrape. Yeah. Like that's that's where my head is at right now in this conversation. Either way, Ramsey, is, did our podcast just end, get canceled <laughs> while I was saying that? Like, is, was that the end? Um, okay, so did you have anything else you wanted to say about Thrones before we move on? I was really hoping you were going to say cheese. I got to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah. The one other, the one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this week's episode that we we didn't get to on after the Thrones was. Um, the previous week, in in three, right? You and I were both like remarking on how fast things were moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely the case. Yeah, this that season it in felt like there had been I, like a, a they, they they had turned a corner and that there was like a decline going, not a decline in quality, but like they were picking up speed. Yeah, right. And what you know, and we both and the, the thing that was really striking was like John appeared to piece out of the Night's Watch completely. You know, and he, and he gave his game worn, life dead jersey to to Ed. Right. And similarly, Arya just sort of um, had a training montage and seemed to basically level up. Wait, we got to of... talk about how fucking funny it is that John is like, my night's watch is ended or my watch is ended or whatever. And he's like, deuces. And then he just goes into another room at Castle Black. It's like, that's, that's your big exit, dog? You just went into another room? <laughs> this is the po- That's exactly the point I'm making. And that was really, well, it's very funny, but it was also very interesting in the same way that Arya was still there. Um, or still there basically so 
the thing that 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 I find really interesting about this is that's like getting in a fight with your wife and then not being able to find your keys so you can't storm out. It's like I'm going in this other room. You think about what you've done. Are, can I, can, just to be clear, the fight is over cheese, right? Yeah. And like how the, fight is, how the cheese has just been sliced. Yeah, the fight is over using the the neck stabber with for, for your for your peeling of fruit. <laughs> the body on the floor, notwithstanding. But so I thought that was kind of an interesting. The revelation, especially that John is just still there, you know, making soup jokes with Sansa in the same place that he stormed out of, I thought was kind of interesting in an episode that um, really was about Tyrion trying to clean up a mess, you know, yeah. because basically Daenerys only makes drop the mic moments. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying after the, the Thrones, the Rondo moments. Right. And so, and so the fact that, like, there was this sort of amazing almost it's not satire but it's like there's where is there to go how, how do these people actually live when they're not fighting or burning people like you have to the rest of life happens in these middle moments and it was kind of interesting the way for all you know for as much as we want characters to, to go storming out of places where do they go they're stuck yeah and the show is as much about that as as anything else and that is a dramatically tougher sell but i thought it was pretty clever the way it was presented this week all right andy before we get on to chance the rapper let's take a quick break uh for a word from our sponsors Hey everybody, want to tell you a little bit about Bonobos. Every guy wants to look his best, but if you want to put in the effort to maintain a stylish wardrobe, it's really difficult sometimes. You don't want to spend your entire Saturday trying stuff on, going, parking... You know, it's just a hassle. Bonobos takes the pain and hassle out of finding stylish clothes that fit. Clothes for any body type, any fit preference, you can easily browse online the top quality styles in your home. And free and easy shipping and returns, personable and fast service. Try clothes at one of 20 plus guide shops. There's a lovely one here in Los Angeles. And you can try stuff on before you buy, and then they ship clothing from the store to your home for free. Bonobos offers a full line of stylish men's clothing, all meticulously crafted for a better fit. Shirts for the office or the weekend, suits that feel like you've been they've been tailored just for you pants and jeans jackets and outerwear ties belts and shoes even golf clothes if you want to get there on the links you can look stylish feel comfortable and pick your perfect fit from slim standard tall or athletic for larger thighs for limited time all new customers can get 20 percent off their first order when you go to bonobos.com and enter the code channel 33 that's b-o-n-o-b-o-s.com channel 33 to discover the difference that an expertly crafted better fitting wardrobe can make also want to tell you about our other sponsor, Uber. We all have those times when we need a little bit of extra money. Well, I've got a really easy way for you to, that you can do it. Drive with Uber. Uber's a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. So as a driver, it helps you make extra money driving your own car. And it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make more money because Uber lets you make extra money on your schedule. Whenever you need extra money, you just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there, and it all adds up fast. It's really easy to get started. First, go to drivewithuber.com and sign up for free, and you can do it right now on your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about you and your car, and then get approved. Third, start driving. That's all there is to it. I told you it was easy. Start enjoying the flexibility of working when you want and earning extra money on your schedule. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. Okay, Andy, we are back. We're talking about Chance the Rapper, who is... You you were like, I, I'm only so-so on Chance the Rapper, and then I had to deal with like three f- days of you talking about how he's the greatest artist since Miles Davis. To be clear, I didn't say I was so-so. I said I was hard out. That's right. I, I don't know the last time I've made such an, a humiliating mistake. about. I mean, because generally I'm just always right, culturally. But this one, <laughs> Chris, I, I, I own this mistake. 
it was blasphemy. I will be apologizing for it until I'm ultra light beaming. I, I was wrong, really wrong. This dude is the truth. The, uh, this dude is the prince who was promised. The, the mixtape is Chance called the Rappers. Coloring Book. It came out last Thursday night, I think, right? Like Friday morning. Um, it is a 14-track <laughs> soul gospel rap like explosion featuring Young Thug, little thought, little Yachty. I was about to say little thoughty. Yeah, definitely lead with Lil Yachty on a record. That should be with his Justin other Bieber alias besides Bodie. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, Justin Bieber's on this piece. Jay Electronic of Future. Yo, the Chicago Children's Choir and Kanye West. That's true. In that order. Chris, this record is so good and it's so moving and warm and it's joyful. Like, that's the thing that I find so incredibly powerful about this record and listening to it. Like, last week, as you know, I was in, in your town and, and we were taping our show. And on Friday, I was on my way. I was walking over to the studio. It was early, early morning and a little jet lagged. And I was thinking about how I was going to, like, show up. And then I was going to engage you in a conversation just to be like, why haven't they invented something for mornings that make you feel better? Like not coffee, but like something that could just kind of make you feel better that I know I realize I'm sounding like I'm asking you to prescribe me serious drugs. But (laughs) at that moment, I hit play on All We Got, the first track on the Chance record with Kanye and the the aforementioned Chicago Children's Choir. And and I swear the good word swelled in my chest and I felt the goodness that I wanted to feel. I felt elevated. I felt so happy about the world. Thanks to this dude. And it was legal. I, this dude makes religion sound fantastic. I don't know what to tell you. I've, I, I've, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I've encountered that sort of relationship to something that I don't have in art that I, makes me envious of having it in that way. And you know, you know what? Like when we, when we listen to Clips records, I would be like, boy, it sure sounds exciting to be a cocaine dealer. But I wasn't like, eh, I'd kind of be interested in studying cocaine dealing. You know, but I listened to Chance talk about his life and, and he, he loves being a Christian. And I was like, that sounds interesting. That maybe that's something to look into. And I did not expect I would ever say that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect you would say that either. <laughs> I know. I'm really moved by this record. Um, I have to say, my favorite parts of this record are the saddest. And I don't really like, I, I think that, because Same Drugs and Summer Friends are my two favorite songs. Oh, um, yeah. And I still, yeah, I don't really go to music for joy. Um, I, I don't really know. Maybe it's Adahandia. Is that what they call it when you can't really experience joy? What? uh, what, Anhedonia. Anhedonia. Is that right? Is that? Did Charlie Kaufman make a movie about that yet? Um, It's all of them. It's uh, uh, one of my favorite Blink One Eighty Two songs. It's just interesting to hear you talk about it because you take something. I feel like this is the the joyful parts of this record are something that have been present with Chance for a while. Whether it's from the Donny Trumpet record he put out last year, even parts of Acid Rap and. Um, some of his guest appearances, but I, I just feel like it's it, it could be a product of just what I've been listening to recently, which is mostly like Radiohead and James Blake. Um, oh my god, <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, but I think that the things on this record that I responded to most deeply, and Same Drugs is one of the most articulate songs, the most efficiently articulate songs about getting older in a bad way, where there's these two characters in this in this song who have grown apart precisely because they've started doing different drugs than one another. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's just such a moving 
sad look at being in your mid to late twenties and uh you know summer summer friends is like the same kind of thing this kind of melancholy moving out of your young 20s into a more serious or melancholy time but what makes him truly a great artist i think is if you look at summer friends absolutely works as a as a melancholy ode to to maturity but it's also about violence in chicago and it is a, it about both those things at once you know and there's that part in the first verse where he talks about how like we used to play outside in summers and then we we can't play outside anymore and this this pervading prevailing sense of loss because he's talking about his own lost youth but then he's also talking about an entire generation of people in a major american city who are losing youth period and like his ability to to, to go from one to the other it, it's that's basically what this record is to me in the most exciting way because he's He's, you know, he's he's connecting dots between things that are not necessarily obvious, but make make total sense. You know, put Kanye West with a children's choir, put um, get Justin Bieber, but put him on a track with this relatively to me, relatively obscure Chicago rapper Tokyo and have them sing about like how they miss dancing at the roller rink. You know, it's using people in very surprising ways. I mean, Future is on that song Smoke Break and the song is basically being like, we can't do drugs anymore. We have a child and Future is on this on this song and those that isn't. In my experience in the future, that's not a reservation he's often expressed. Right. You know, um, it, it takes such talent and charisma to to base to to throw a party like this and not be drowned out by all the voices that he invites over. And it's completely this this guy's this, it's completely Chance's vision. And I'm just astounded by it. And especially, you know, I don't we can have many nice things at once, even though it seems like in music we can only have nice things literally this month um but i just you know i i i can't imagine i went to sleep listening to this record on thursday and i woke up being like i can't imagine anyone who likes rap music being like oh i i, I can't wait to put on the drake record and hear about how lonely it is to be incredibly rich in canada <laughs> that album is so um it's such a closed circuit you know we talked about it there are things on it that i really like this entire record is the sound of opening your windows. And that, that's very relevant at a time when it's still, you know, 48 degrees in New York city. But it's, I was really, you can tell because I'm losing, I'm gaining my religion here, but I was very moved by this record. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. Uh, well, I do want to talk a little bit about this more generally, which is just based on this tweet I saw from uh, this guy, Nathan Hubbard, who Bill's had on his show before. He's, I think he was one of Bill's buddies and he works at Twitter and he used to be, um, one of the, he was the CEO for Ticketmaster, and he had tweeted something over the weekend that I thought was interesting. It was like, I really like the Adele album. This is just yesterday. Uh, still, it's amazing how quickly it's faded as culturally significant after coming out of the gate so mm -hmm. quickly. And I forgot the Adele album had come out, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And for somebody like Adele, I don't know that it matters as much because she's going to be fine either way i mean adele has fans and adele's going to do a very successful tour but in this kind of churn how does somebody like chance make sure that you know to borrow a phrase that you just used that to, to make sure that the windows don't close on him you know i think that i think it's a really good question um and i think it's i don't think it's doing anybody a service honestly to be dropping all these major releases in such a short time frame um you know, we, we, and by the way, we are going to talk about the Radiohead record. I actually, I'm going to take a page from Nathan Hubbard's tweet book and be like, I, I would rather talk about it with you. I think maybe next week, um, because I want more time with it. I don't want to have a knee jerk reaction to it. And I kind of want to 
spend a you know just sink into it a little bit more even though so far i don't find it that welcoming but um i think the interesting thing about chance is that he is so completely removed from this this cycle in this industry you know he, so much on this record is about how he's not on a label and he refuses to be on one and and he's not you know he's he's never sold his music counterpoint i, I apple yeah that's what i was gonna say apple clearly has paid him quite a bit of money for this and i think that's worked out really well because they have the exclusive for this but but um he he seems to have a creativity and, and it seems to be on such a hot streak by the way it, I, I, Tom, our friend Tom Bryan wrote about it at Stereo Gum, and he wrote about him being in this bliss bubble of new parenthood, and I thought it was a really nice piece, and I would direct people to, to check it out. Um, he's just in this moment that I, it, it does not feel constrained by this week. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's something happening that he's doing, and he's clearly very, very productive, and probably too productive, because he was, like, hospitalized with pneumonia the other day. It doesn't... I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, like Beyonce's Lemonade was coordinated to a T, you know, to, to emerge at exact moment, to have the HBO special, to hit at a certain time, to, to match up with the tour. That was the window that it was specifically genetically designed to hit. Whereas this is here now, but I feel like it's going to bubble and percolate. Like these songs are going to play all summer. I, I just think that, but maybe that's just because I love it. I, Do you, I don't you even disagree? know what that means anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't actually really have like a feel for what stuff felt like a year and a half ago before this stuff started like this this sort of started happening with these surprise releases and the, just the compression i i kind of mystifies me about how this is happening it's it doesn't seem like it's smart but i guess since nothing else was working the music industry has to try something but it didn't seem like this is smart you wouldn't do this they're not going to put out three other really big movies on the same day as star wars or even very close to star wars it just no, makes more sense gonna, to to, to spread things out a little bit but there's going to be a superhero movie every week this summer you know and like but there's not and, and there's we, not we, we've but we've had the same conversation like remember last year when it was june and and we were like did did age of ultron come out this year yeah because we were I, already I, so past i know it. and i think that that's that's interesting that you should bring that up because maybe it's about the long-term appreciation of popular culture and the age of information is just like an incredibly complicated nuanced discussion but it's it's definitely something we're feeling across mediums, whether it's film, television, or music, that mm-hmm. the sensation, like the 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 hit of getting something and immediately sort of appreciating it, but not really living with it very long, and then sort of drifting in and out of consciousness with with this stuff is 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 definitely a modern phenomenon. I guess I would bring it back to to views, and the thing about views, the the Drake record, is that it is. You know, in, in in airless and in some ways immaculate distillation of his aesthetic. You know, it, it's it's too long, but it is absolutely every studied and considered and absolutely Drake. Every every inch of it, and that was the window for Drake to return and do Drake things. And Lemonade was the opportunity for Beyonce to do Beyonce things. Right. The thing about the Chance record is that it it bubbles with all this positivity and possibility, and I don't even know what a chance thing is maybe it's because he's you know he's young he's at a younger place in his career but i don't know what a chance thing is other than it's exciting so that feels more limitless to me so you think that, for again, a new artist it's like optimism. an exciting time to get on the treadmill but for the older artists it's a little bit more precarious but it's also maybe it's because artists need to and this was maybe this it was ever thus right that you artists do need to 
come with something bright, fresh, or new to get you know to to move the needle. Obviously, the needle is harder to move these days. But like for as much as people like the Adele record and like her personally, and you and I think she is a think she's a delight, especially when she's you know doing carpool karaoke <laughs> or whatever. That record was very appealing to people who like Adele records. And I'm not really that person. And so it, it's almost, for me, like you were saying, it's almost as if it never came out because it was just a reminder that Adele is Adele doing Adele things. Um, you know, and, and that might be something that differentiates it a little bit. Um, and that's why, you know, and this is the pre-conversation because I need to spend more time with it. But I, I feel pretty disappointed with the Radiohead album because obviously they don't need to do anything to, to 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 validate their artistic existence I mean, they've done everything and and few bands are a better example of why it's worth chasing your muse wherever it goes considering what they've done over the last 20 years but i did want i did want it i did want something else you know especially when we heard that single with the strings i was like maybe what's going to be interesting about this record is they're going to let warmth back in or empathy back into the machine and the record is so icy. It's so, so, so icy. No Gucci Mane. I feel like you could is. make an argument that it's an appropriate, I mean, just the same way, I don't know, I wouldn't make a, too big of a connection between Drake's and Moonshade Pool, but t- t- between Views and Moonshade Pool. But I do think that there's an argument to be made that it is not a, a warm and empathetic time and that the music kind of... I, I agree with yeah. that. But I think that that's why what's so amazing to me about Chance is that he's making a case for what he's doing in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Like we, to bring it full circle... To Summer Friends. I mean, Summer Friends sounds like that moment at the barbecue when the sun has set, but it's still a little bit light and you're forcing the issue and you're going to stay out just a little bit longer. And that's like a beautiful, universal thing. And it makes me think of a very happy, have a very happy time or experience. But then you listen to the lyrics and he's talking about you know, kids who will never get to do that. And he's found a different way to articulate it that makes me pay attention more. Um, and when Radiohead name a song... I guess they changed the name of it, but the song was originally called Silent Spring, you know, which is the, the, the landmark book about environmentalism. And it's basically a song with Tommy York being like, you are killing the trees. Yeah. It's just basically like a, like a, like a, a Lorax power ballad. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I know, you know, it's like, I, I, dude, yeah, we, we are. That sucks. <laughs> like, that's my, that was my takeaway from that song. It didn't, it didn't touch me emotionally to make me want to go plant more trees in the same way that like dance makes me want to like personally personally like go to church and save chicago if i could like that's that's the difference okay all right well uh do you what chris how many trees have you planted this week okay rachel carson you tell me no i just i think that uh it's it's an interesting it's ironic that i'm out here well it's it's been pretty gray out here but it's ironic that like maybe that's what it is maybe it's like when you're out and it's the same day every day and it's it's beautiful and everybody's in their car and stuff like that. You kind of have a longing for a, a darker, edgier, more confrontational or or whatever sound. Whereas if you're in New York and it's kind of like claustrophobic and gray, you want something that speaks in, in pinks and oranges and, and warmth. I, I feel like I feel like what you just said about in L.A., like you just gave the reason for why the movie crash exists <laughs> you're like i just want to feel something i just want us to get out of our cars it's it's more like falling down isn't it dude i i can feel that what if what i'm trying to imagine like what a drake song about about planting trees would be like like he would be real jealous if someone planted the wrong kind of tree yeah 
<laughs> no, I, I, I'm trying to figure out a better way to articulate that. Like, I still haven't gotten over the fact that I thought too good when I was on the plane, when I was just, I just, just swimming in a moon shaped pool of Chardonnay. And I was listening to, to Too Good, the song with Rihanna. And I was like, this song is so beautiful and warm. And then I listened to it when I was completely when's sober. The last time like, you liked, when's he's, the last time you liked dark music? Like, when's the last time you liked... This dude was saying he's too good for his girlfriend. He's saying he's too good for Rihanna. It's like, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Chaining Tatum. You're not too good for Rihanna. <laughs> um, when's the last time I liked what? Uh, like, dark, edgy music. Wow. Calling me, calling me soft. No, I'm not calling you yeah. soft. I'm just, I just want to wow. set the stage here for people so they understand. Like, this is a new thing for you to be like, shit has to be empathetic. Shit has to be warm. I need to, I need I to wrote feel a book about emo. I don't know if it's new. I mean, that's that can be pretty die. That can be pretty dour, though. Yeah, it's 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 true. I mean, I, I it's not all celebration rock, you know. No, it's true. But but you know, you and I, we often agree on this podcast about many things. But I couldn't go down the road with you with james blake like i you, you talked it up to me and i love the idea of it and you know i, I even came around on the leftovers so i thought it was possible <laughs> They're basically and the same thing i fired I, they are i mean he's on that's the full first season was soundtracked by that dude and i i i fired it up and i saved it to spotify and i got on the plane and i started drinking and i just like heart hardest to pass i love just, that I just like the only way you experience culture is through chardonnay and air flight air travel the only way I do anything is through Chardonnay and Airplane. All right, well, that's as things. good of a segue that's, that's as any. I want to start talking about the movies a little bit. Um, so this weekend... Okay. I want to put a pin in that thing, though. I want to think about my edgier days, then we'll get back well, to Well, we it. can talk about it more with radio, because that'll be more of like a, a, a career-spanning retrospective right. for you. Um, good, good point. So this weekend I watched High Rise, which is the new film from Ben Wheatley. It's an adaption of uh, J.G. Ballard's novel starring Tom Hiddleston and the always lovely Sienna Miller. Uh Sienna Miller, mm. always in movies where I'm like, oh, Sienna Miller. Uh, yep. Like, you mean like Burnt? <laughs> yes. Uh, and watching this movie, it's a very, it kind of reminds me a lot of um, the works of Alex Cox, which people may um, may remember, mm. directed Repo Man, but uh, also directed a couple of very strange films like Straight to Hell and uh, Walker, which was about, um, which starred Ed Harris as a guy trying to take over Texas. Uh, I know it's a historical figure. I just can't think of who it is at the top, the top of my head. William Walker, I think his name was. And uh, Straight to Hell is this like weird dystopian Western that he made. And it's it's got the same sense of like anarchic, crazy edge and the same problems with pacing. And, you know, you get a two-thirds into the movie and you're like, this is awesome. This is like the new, new Clockwork Orange. And then you, you're like, oh, my God, there's another 50 minutes left. Um and it was, it's it's just a very interesting film. I, it's hard for me to say like I recommend it because it's just like violence and orgies for two hours. But I liked it. Go on. I yes. liked it. Um, the thing that's interesting about it is that Tom Hiddleston is in it. Tom Hiddleston. I want to hear your opinions on Tom Hiddleston because yeah, this guy is getting getting like early McConaughey breaks in terms of just like they're just lining up to give him parts. And in the last they couple are. of years, he has been in the Avengers. He has gotten his own two bbc shows he was in the hollow crown and now he's in night manager uh, i don't know if that was that, if that that's bbc but british television shows and now it's on amc uh and he's excellent in night manager he's been in a jim jarmusch vampire movie he is oh yeah he was good in that he's in, only lovers left yeah alive. he's in high rise in which he is and and now it, the british gambling houses british betting houses have closed betting on 
him being the mm. next Bond. And he apparently met with Whoa. Sam Mendes and Barbara Broccoli, and it will be a, a surprise if he is not the next Bond. And in all of these no. films, whether he is playing a vampire, whether he is a uh, decadent um, Bacchanalian guy living in a, a 1970s high-density living situation in, in England, whether he is Loki, whether he is a John le Carre uh, protagonist, he's just always the same. And it's really interesting to watch hmm. people be like, I need some Hiddleston in my story. Because to me, it's like, I guess, I know that people like Tom Hiddleston, and I'm sure he adds some commercial value to a film. But isn't it odd that this guy is just now in everything? Yes. Well, let's unpack it. Because there is definitely, look, it is, we, we like to joke about how, to our minds, like, social media engagement from people who make art or storytellers or whatever is set. I think it's inessential. Like, I don't see that, think that it moves the needle one way or another, but casting directors, for example, really do look at people's Twitter pages. Like that's true. And if they're casting like a small part on a sitcom and that's sort of a, it's a, it's a pick them. Yeah, like they 50, will pick 50. the person with 2000 followers over the person with 600 followers or no Twitter account. They will do that. And similarly, I wouldn't be surprised if people, if there's someone in a casting office, if there's some like, you know, um, millennial whisperer at the casting office who's like, well, guess who's really popping off on 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 Giphy, right? Like who, who's really got the gifts going this week? Yeah. And who, who's memeable? And I didn't know that was happening. Like I thought Hiddleston, because here's the other thing, like villains are always the best parts of the, of blockbusters or almost always. And so, yeah, he was the best thing in Thor because he was playing against, you know, a character who is, essentially a block of wood um no shots at hemsworth like that's the part and so he gets to have all the fun so it but i I, even so i was caught flat-footed that there was this there was this narrative that he was the best thing in all of marvel like that he was so delightful didn't they like reconstruct ultron to include more of him well they recon i mean definitely I, I don't know if I mean Loki was the villain in Avengers number one, the comic book from the '60s, so he probably was in the mix for when they were making the movie. But I can't imagine they wouldn't have gone in a different direction if they hadn't liked him so much in Thor, and you know, just wanting to get him into as many of these things as possible. Um, so that definitely fuels it. And my take—I haven't seen him as much as you have. I haven't seen all the things you've said. The reason I like him in the Night Manager is because I think it's—it was an interesting use of him doing those things that he does, but having them be sort of winsome and mildly heroic as opposed to, um, you know, gimlet-eyed and cynical. Um, but well, it kind of, I think it doesn't be a it kind of tie idea in, to cast him as Bond. It kind of ties into what you were saying with music, right? Where you were saying it's not, I'm not, you're not really in the lane right now to hear James Blake and Radiohead and Drake be incredibly mm-hmm. alienated from modern life. It, it, we've gone through a couple of years of very dark versions of traditional heroes. So Daniel Craig is like this scarred alcoholic oh, yeah. Bond. And, I think everyone's exhausted. You know, by that. and Batman being this raspy voiced psychopath and 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 I, I think that Hiddleston comes along at a time when people are pivoting a little bit towards brighter, poppier, um, more friendly, more polite heroes. Um and you can see that in Captain America Civil War, where it's like, even though they're discussing like government oversight and the deaths of millions of people, 
everybody in that movie looks good, is fun. It's a movie without a villain very purposely. Even Daniel Bruhl, it's like, oh, I did this because, you know, because my wife and kids were killed. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, you're not, so you're not just a psychopath like the Joker, you know? <laughs> and everybody, I, it's brightly lit and friendly and, and it's welcoming. And Hillston is kind of a perfect avatar for that, I guess. And if he was Bond, it would be a new version of Bond. It would be the most polite, fun Bond since Roger Moore, probably. Well, that's an interesting point, and I would like that. I would rather that. I just feel like he's, a, I, I mean, I, I think he's sort of stringy, like not just physically. Like I just don't know if he has the, 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 like the full weight of charisma. Like I would rather have a charming Bond. I'm looking over like the people who are even in Ladbroke's bedding before they they froze it, and it's crazy how they just list literally everyone who speaks English and is a man. I know. Um, at a certain point, like, but I'm looking at this list and for as much as there seem to be endless number of, of British actors and all of them are currently on American television in one form or another, the list of people who could fill this role are pretty small. And once, especially once you get past Idris Elba, who I think everyone, a lot of people wanted, and then the world seems to have moved away from, or maybe he doesn't want it, but like Tom Hardy is there and that makes sense. But <laughs> the other names on your like Fastbender would be amazing, but he doesn't want to do that. And I hope he doesn't. But then you look at this, like, Fastbender's too busy doing list? getting that like, Assassin's Creed money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he doesn't play video games. Um, this this list has Jeremy Renner on it, Chris. <laughs> Ladbrokes. Is that because of us? Yeah, I put in three. Because I, I put in a couple bets for Renner. <laughs> because I get why, like, even though it's ridiculous, why, like, Nikolai Koster-Waldau is on here or Orlando Bloom or Kit Harrington, But, yo, Renner is on this list. Maybe just because he's the franchise eater. Maybe he's a, he's been doing a lot of, of house flipping in England. That he might, he's been, he's been all, flipping manners. True, <laughs> flipping appies. The truth is, <laughs> here's the truth. He would get cast, and then he would show up on day one and realize that his script said that he was 006. Yeah, I know. And that, like, 007 was... And the, you're here and to then, hand um, out... You're, you're actually the new Miss Moneypenny. You're supposed to just hand Tom Hiddleston his coat. No, that, but that... Um, <coughs> the Daniel Craig actually refuses to quit once he found out who he was replaced. That's right. With. That's right. In full Mission Impossible. Um, that's it, it's interesting. I mean, I guess he's very popular, and or whatever popular means these days, right? Like because omnipresent is kind of the same thing as popular at this point. Yeah, Chris Pratt's a good example of that. Very charming guy. Very charming, but he's also a very specific thing that is appealing that you can plug into a lot of different holes, right? Like he is the perfect bendable, charming self-deprecating but physically legitimate action figure to stick into these modern sure. tenpole movies he's, like, he's the pg-13 action hero he's a perfect pg-13 action hero. whereas i don't what is i mean what is what do you think what do you think tom hiddleston wants to do then we can move on what is tom hiddleston? just mind read for a second i don't know i think that guy looks wants to look really good in a suit yeah you know what else he's good at billowy linen shirts and he says quite right that's my takeaway from the night manager. Just a lot of billowy shirts. I like night manager. I do too, but I'm just saying that's my if you if you were if you were playing like a Rorschach test game with me and you held up a card that's a night manager, I would say billowy linen. Yeah, you got to see, I mean, you're not going to see high rise cuz everything about it would offend your sensibilities, but if you want to see that guy <laughs> doing some different stuff, but still being essentially likable and good, even though he's trying his hardest to be like a dirtbag. It's pretty interesting to watch the 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 tension there. Can can we can we pivot before we go to a little little hashtag airplane movie? Sure, man. Floor's yours. Because here's why 
here's why Chris isn't feeling this segment because in, if I'm a, I'm in a mind read, I feel like our, our listeners deserve deserve to know why. I think it's because you are a avid and skilled sailor on the good ship of culture. Like you you hoist the mainsail, you know what I mean? Like you go to the arc light, you put in work at the Cinerama Dome. Like you see the movies, you do the homework. And your reward for that is having a podcast partner who doesn't do the work, who's just jet setting across the country, seeing things 15 months late, and then acting like he invented fire. And I get that, and I apologize for that. But I didn't invent fire on my flight to LA last week. I witnessed fire, okay? I was Prometheus peeking through the gates of Mount Olympus when I saw a film called Steve Jobs. I've been excited for this which take I avoided. because this is, is, this, is not a, a sh- this is not a take that many people share, but you and I share yes. it. Yeah, man. Listen, I'm not a Sorkin guy. I usually don't like Sorkin, and I was really convinced that I was going to hate this movie because I bought the hype, the negative hype. This movie was great. This movie, I mean, this is not the Chardonnay talking because I was really trying to stick to water on the flight out. This movie just killed me, and here's why. And then you can, I'm gonna, you've been waiting over a year to talk about this movie, so I want you to talk about it. But I want to say the reason I think this might be my favorite Sorkin entertainment ever is because this was an incredible act of creation. There was no story there. And he just took this raw ore from this, frankly, not good biography of Steve Jobs that Walter Isaacson wrote and crafted it, banged his, his brain hammer until the metal was shaped into this this almost like immaculate almost almost worthy of the apple branding um construction of these three moments before the three product launches and ba- and then instead of an ion battery putting this relationship with his daughter into it and as someone who has a relationship with a daughter it just destroyed me i i love this movie and i want you to tell me why i'm right <laughs> uh i mean i think a lot of people thought that the first act of the movie was great the third act was really saccharine and the second act was whatever. I, I actually rewatched it recently because when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, you know, I haven't, I wonder if that holds up at all. Cause I, I, I just genuinely really like Aaron Sorkin just because of the dialogue. I just, I understand why some people have issues with him and it. I totally get it. It's just that I don't think a lot of people write like him and it's just always really fun to watch actors rise to the occasion. Um, I still, I still think the best thing he's done is probably social network, although the thing I love the most probably is sports night, you know, because mm-hmm. it hit me like right at the right time. I had never seen, you know, I'd never seen a show like that when I saw sports night. But uh, the not not since Benson had you seen a show with that much Robert Guillaume. The amount of my dude is like sort of the morning in the second act. Like he has got <laughs> so much shit going on. He's got like the, yes. the different like emotional range the range that he has to be in i'm sort of saying he and i mean sorkin but i also mean fassbender because i cannot imagine i i think he probably in retrospect should have won best actor last year yes the fact that it's such like a physical performance but only ever talking and walking and the different emotional ranges he has to hit in all the confrontations of the second act with uh, Catherine Watterson and Jeff Daniels and Seth Rogen and Kate Winslet and all the people he's fighting with at once in different ways about different things is so impressive. I just thought it was like, and it, it's it's captivating. Once you step away from the idea of this being any kind of historical document and once you accept the fact that it's basically a hagiography about 
quote unquote great men, even though there are notes in it that are like, you didn't design the apple. You're basically a bad person to your daughter for the first 10 years of her life. You do this, you do that. Like it's pretty, it, there's stuff about him that's bad is in there. And, but you just understand that like these things are fictionalized versions and maybe they could have done yes. a better idea. They could have better done a better job positioning the film. I think basing it off of Walter Isaacson and almost, and coming out so soon after his passing, I mean, relatively soon after his passing and, you know, doing it the way they did it as if it was some sort of realistic portrayal of him. It's closer to, uh, the Todd Haynes, Bob Dylan movie than it is to yes. Uh, oh, that's a great comparison. Than it is to some sort of historically accurate bio, uh, biopic. What, what's that? That's I'm not there. Yeah, I'm not there. Um, it has more to do with that than it does with any kind of like with like walk the line or something like that. Yes, and I completely agree with that. And that's I think why I liked it so much because the thing that has often grates with me about Sorkin is the theatricality, the artificiality of it. Because a Sorkin script is about you know, dazzling word volleys. It's like being at center court at Wimbledon. And what Sorkin, what often interests Sorkin, though, if you look at something in the newsroom, is he wants to use perfect, beautiful language to fix a broken world, you know? And, and, and that collision, especially in something like the newsroom, just annoys the hell out of me. It really bothers me. What I loved about this movie was that it gave in completely to its artificiality and to its convention. It's essentially, it's a play. Um, it's a walking and talking play in three acts. And the instead of being put off by his his deep belief in artificiality, I was moved by it because this entire film is an artificial construction of such imagination and skill and intelligence that it holds together in the fa- even in the face of the you know the the, the sort of the, the critical eye of reality trying to bore into it at any moment this i don 't care if any of these things happen because by combining them the way that 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 he did and Fassbender did and Danny Boyle did it has the weight of emotional truth and it has something deeper to say about people and their relationships and it actually achieves the kind of um, emotional penetration that I find usually his stuff doesn't, his stuff usually leaves me very cold. It's a fairy tale. It seems it's a fairy so... tale. It's a fairy tale about American ingenuity. It's a fairy tale about fatherhood that you can redeem yourself from certain things. I mean, I, I just think that you have to see it for what it is. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that it is ripe for reclassification and revisitation. I think I hope that people will think very highly of it at some point in the future when it is not, you know, everything. The movie was was basically tarnished from the beginning because it was so so directly implicated in the in the Sony hack, and so all the conversations about what it was and what it wasn't, and the people who refused to, you know, the different casting things and all the vibe about it with the Danny Boyle was the second choice because Fincher didn't yeah, want to do Bale it. And Fassbender was the second choice because Christian Bale DiCaprio or Leo didn't, didn't want to do, do it. it. Yeah. Which is really funny to me because those guys pride themselves on such like, oh, I lost a thousand pounds or I ate a bear or a bear ate me or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> what if you, but like, but like you guys get some negative feedback about a role before you do it and you back off. I mean, I understand why they got the negative feedback. If I was Steve Jobs' uh, wife, I might not want him I might not want that movie to come out either. Maybe I don't want a movie no, about that's not an accurate depiction of his life. Exactly. And I totally get that. And that's, you know, often when I see movies, but especially if they're biopics or based on reality, I, you know, like everyone, I definitely then will finish the movie and then fire up the old Wikipedia machine or the, the old Google and be like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that wasn't quite right. Oh, that person was real. Um, I didn't do that on this movie, not just because I read Isaacson's book, but because I don't care. Yeah. Like, I, I would imagine that if you were Lisa um, Brennan, you know, his 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 daughter that he refused to acknowledge for many years of her life, 
this movie probably is an abomination, it, just in terms of its, you know, the manipulation of that relationship and the artificial. On the other hand, you could take credit for inventing the, the iPod. But that's <laughs> well, right. You gave it. You'll always have that. But I, and so I feel for her personal case there. But as a as a work of art, it's great, and that that is. You know, I have the privilege of saying that's what matters to me, not my own family history. This is my favorite um, Andy's airplane movies yet, dude. It's a knockout. I'm, it came at the right time because I was losing you. I was losing you, um, and we didn't even have time to talk about how my my after dinner mint was a, a revisit of Hoosiers. <laughs> we'll have to come, we'll, we'll come back to that because I'm not flying. I'm not flying this week, so I, I can rest here on Earth and then and think about next movie. All right, man. Uh, it was great talking to you this week. I, we will maybe catch up. We'll catch up next week, and we've got an Andy Greenwald show coming this week, uh, later in the week, with yep. Jonathan Tropper from Banshee. Uh, yeah, we, we can we can announce that. Yeah, that one of my favorite shows, Banshee on Cinemax, is ending uh, series finale on Friday, and I'll have an in-depth interview with the show's co-creator, Jonathan Tropper, up this week. Great. All right. Can't, can't wait to listen to it. All right. Thanks, man. Great job, Bransky! Thanks to our sponsor today, Roan Apparel. Roan makes stylish activewear from innovative and custom fabrics such as SilverTech, which involves melting down pure silver and weaving it into yarn. Silver is both antimicrobial and anti-stink, so your gym clothes will no longer smell. GQ Magazine in their article, The Truth About Anti-Stink Gym Gear, ranked Roan's products number one, beating out premium competitors such as Lululemon, and the New York Post dubbed it Activewear Fit for Superman. To check out their brand new collections, visit roan.com slash bspn. That's R-H-O-N-E dot com. And right now they are offering the watch listeners an inside deal for 15% off your first order with the code BSPN on roan.com slash BSPN. Once again, that's R-H-O-N-E dot com and the code BSPN. Made for men, fit for kings. Roan. Lastly, we want to thank our sponsor, Uber. We all have those times when we need a little extra money. Well, I've got a really easy way for you to do it. Drive with Uber. Uber is a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. So as a driver, it helps you make extra money driving your own car. And it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make extra money. And Uber lets you make extra money on your schedule. Whenever you need extra money, just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there. It all adds up fast. And it's really easy to get started. First, go to drivewithuber.com, sign up for free, and you can do it right now from your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about you and your car and then get approved. Third, start driving. That's all there is to it. I told you it was easy. Start enjoying the flexibility of working when you want and earning extra money on your schedule. Sign up to Drive with Uber today. Go to drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com.